Jesus, we just want to receive the love that you have for us today. We want to receive the love that you have for us today, the friendship that you have for us today. We want to receive the grace and mercy that you have for us today. Lord, I just pray for the person in the room that feels like that is not for them or that that feels uncomfortable or confusing. I pray for the dudes in the room that feel like it's weird to sing about Jesus being the lover of their soul. I pray that you would break through that in a way that surprises them. And I loved how... Um, those two songs back to back. One of them said, I will never let you go on the other. And the, but the one before that said that we're his forever. And it, it feels like kind of this mutual grip of Jesus grabbing us, of us grabbing Jesus. And so we just want our grip on you to be tighter today, Jesus. We want your grip on us to be tighter today, Jesus. And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen. I had a pretty profound encounter with Jesus this morning, kind of revolving around that song, and I would tell you about it, but I'm going to use this as a teaser trailer to get you come to the celebration lunch, so, um, so I'll, I'll share about it there. Um, so just a couple of like notes and reminders. I have two points of information and one point of celebration. So point of information number one. Our Christmas Eve candlelight services will be on December the 24th at 4.30 and at 7. At 4.30 and at 7. And the next day, otherwise known as Christmas Day, uh, we will not be gathering that Sunday morning. We will gather on the 1st of January. What we always do, kind of what we have always done as a church, is have a brunch the Sunday after our Christmas services, but we're going to take a pause on Christmas Day. So New Year's brunch, uh, we will have brunch on New Year's Day together. Um, and by then we'll have like a two week old, which is kind of nice to think about. Um, so we'll have all sorts of printable versions of that for you next week to be inviting people. Christmas candlelight at 4.30 and 7. So that's point of information number one. Point of information number two, listen to the words that are about to come out of my mouth. This is a point of information, not a point of celebration. So if you find in yourself a desire to clap, go ahead and don't do that, okay? So yesterday, about 50 people were present for our called church conference. 45 members were present to vote on the matter of disaffiliation from the United Methodist Church. The vote was 43 to two in favor of disaffiliation from the United Methodist Church. What does that mean? Well, not a whole lot, which is kind of the point of us thinking about disaffiliation, right? Uh, we will remain a United Methodist congregation until 11.59 p.m. on June 30th. At midnight on July 1st, we will become an independent congregation. And so the, what you can expect over the next six to seven months is regular communication, transparent communication from the oversight team, as we navigate us to a place that we're ready to make that happen. And one of the things that I do wanna say is from the very beginning of this process of considering it, our oversight team has handled it with prayer, 
has handled it with consideration for the whole flock, even the members of our flock that maybe don't love this decision that has weighed on our minds. Um, this is not something that brings us delight or joy, but felt necessary to secure a healthy future for Regen and for our spiritual family here. And so I'm really thankful for the oversight team and for their leadership um, in the days ahead. And so just wanted to say that. So that is your point of information number two. Now, here is your point of celebration. Uh, Brittany Bowers, who has been in Maine for the last 10 weeks, is back this weekend while she's in between legs on her 10-month ministry school with a ministry that we're partnered with called 3DM. And there's a lot of new folks in the room, so I thought I would just remind you or explain to you what 3DM is before Brittany tells you why she's given away 10 months of her life to live in four different cities. Um, so about uh, 2017, Steph and I found ourselves kind of at our wits end in leading Regen, kind of unsure of how to help people grow in, the, like, in, in being like Jesus, not only in the things that Jesus did, but kind of becoming the person that Jesus is. So character and competency, character and skill. And we'd exhausted all of the tricks in our bag and uh, some missionary friends of ours in the UK said, you know, there's this international ministry that trains churches in how to make disciples. It's called 3DM. You should take a look at that. And so Art and I drove out to Fort Wayne, Indiana in April of 2017, and we thought, this sounds healthy, this sounds good. And so we've been attached to that non-denominational network of disciple-making leaders since then. And uh, this summer, we hosted uh, the 3DM National Holy Spirit Retreat. So there were about 40 people from across the country, actually, including continents, uh, Mark and Anna were here from South America, uh, and we had a retreat here, and during that retreat, we mentioned that 3DM was going to be doing a ministry school, a 10-month ministry school, where people would be in Maine, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Compton, California, and then Lima, Peru, and Brittany Bowers felt God stirring her, uh, and so Brittany just, she won't say these things, Brittany sold her house uh, and put and put all of her possessions, I don't, probably in her sister's house, I don't know, and then drove to Maine uh, in September. And so she is back. She goes to Fort Wayne in about a week for the next leg. But I asked Brittany to just, since she's here, we'll see her between, we'll see her at, with this leg and we'll see her after she's done in Fort Wayne. But when she gets to the West Coast, we won't see her as much. So I just asked her to share a little bit about what it's been like, what God's been doing in her life and, and those kinds of pieces. So... Yeah, she's here. Point of celebration. Yeah. Hey, guys. Mm -hmm. hey. Wow, it's so weird being back, really. I, I didn't think it would be, but it is. Is it because are we different? <sighs> do, do, is our hair weird or something? Or mm, I think it's me. Okay, all right. Just ask <laughs> me. Okay. Just ask me. <laughs> I think it's me. Um, yeah, so I've been in southern Maine about a half hour inside of Portland. Um, so, like, if you look at the map, the Maine is, like, this huge state. I was, like, barely I was like barely there, barely in there. Um, and it was like, they call it town and country, which I think is really cute um, and logical because it's kind of kind of like in between suburban and rural. So like there's lots, there's a good amount of people there, but everybody lives on big pieces of land. Um, yeah, so I was there with um, one other person, which 
was not the plan originally, but it's been, honestly, it's been fantastic for like the first year um, of this program. It's been great with only two of us. Um, so we were staying at a camp um, right in between uh, two families that are living out there. Um, we spent a, a large amount of time with the Mueller's. Gina Mueller is the um, director, director of 3DM North America. Um, yeah, we just, honestly, it's kind of hard to describe because it's not what you would think of as like a school or an internship. Um, but I've had lots of practice describing it, talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> so basically it's, yeah, we learned about discipleship and mission, um, both like more traditionally, so like strategy and like naming things, but um, honestly it was mostly through experience. So like we hung out with the family and had dinner together on a regular basis and talked about stories about how they've done mission in the past and um, Gina really spent a lot of time investing in me and my roommate, I guess she can be called, um, just helping us hear God more clearly um, and helping us be obedient to whatever he's saying. Um, so yeah, honestly, I spent a lot of time in nature. It was gorgeous weather, best fall I think I've ever experienced. Lots of hiking, which was great. Um, and just great for practicing Sabbath and um, just spending time with God. Um, uh, I have a couple I have a couple stories. Is that yeah. cool? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, one's not mine, but I'm going to tell you anyway because it's great. Um, so, like, basically when we first started, Gina taught us about, like, the basics of mission, right? So, like, first you got to find where people are. That is more difficult in Maine than you would think, uh, just because there's really nowhere to gather. Um, so, I, so my roommate and I kind of explored places together. Like, we went to Portland. We went to a, um, a port town that's close called Kennebunkport. Um, and I was just like not really feeling like, it was leaf peeping season, so there's lots of tourists in these places. Um, and I was like, I don't feel like this is like it, right? Like I, I wanna find the locals. I wanna see where people who live here like hang out. So I settled on this little town called Biddeford. Um, it's about 20 minutes from where I was staying. Um, it's, it's pretty much Warren size, um, but it's like, growing like crazy. I think they just had 16 new businesses in the last like two years. Um, and it's very artsy, which was right up my alley. I could talk to the shop owners all day about their art and um, just the, the town growing and, and all that. Um, walking, like, so I did prayer walks and talked to the um, shop owners a lot, um, but God kind of drew me toward a coffee shop that was there. Um, it's a college town as well, so like lots of college students hang out at this coffee shop. So once a week, I went and prayer walked and talked to people and um, sat at this coffee shop. And kind of nothing was really happening. Like I was like, kind of like, God, you know, I'm praying for you to send me someone, but nothing's really like nobody's being highlighted. Nobody's coming up to me, talking to me. Like I was just feeling pretty discouraged, honestly. If I'm being honest, um, but we went to a conference, a women's conference, 
and I met some awesome women there who really changed my perspective. Um, and it really just took the pressure off of me. And wouldn't you know, the day after we got back from that conference, after I was like, okay, God, I'm, I'm, the pressure's off of me. I'm not going to worry about it. I was sitting outside because it was like unseasonably beautiful for November and reading my book at the coffee shop and this guy comes around the corner and I'm wearing a Jesus t-shirt, which turns out that's a Midwest thing, by the way. Nobody in the eastern part of, of the country has Jesus t-shirts. Um, <laughs> and I was feeling kind of subconscious about it, actually, but um, I did it anyway, because I love it. It's comfortable. And this guy comes around the corner on his bike and sees my Jesus t-shirt, and he's like, hey, are you a Christian? And I was like, Yes, <laughs> like I wear a Jesus t-shirt. Um, but he was like, I have a dilemma. Can I talk to you about it? Yeah, and he just went into this great story about like, I won't get into the details, but basically he grew up Jewish and he was like really struggling with he loves Jesus, but he doesn't know how to like enter into that. So it was really awesome. I was able to speak some great words over him and he let me pray for him. So yeah, that was that was huge. Uh, that was only like two weeks ago too. So toward the end there, but it was awesome. So the second story is not mine to tell, but it's a great story. So I have to. Um, my roommate, she um, so Gina and her family went camping about halfway through our trip, um, but we've been doing laundry at her house because the camp doesn't have that facility. Um, well, my roommate got locked out of Gina's house. She gave her the wrong code to the front door, and like they're camping in the middle of nowhere, so they don't have any service. Um, so God was like, "Why don't you go to the laundromat?" Um, so she went to the laundromat against her better judgment, and um, she met someone. She sat next to this woman because it was really busy. There was only one chair. She sat next to this woman, and they talked the entire time they were there, um, and. Like, there was some communication back and forth with them. Like, they exchanged phone numbers, texting, whatever. She actually invited us over for her dinner at her house, which was, yeah, that was, that was crazy. Like, let me just give you some perspective. That's already crazy, but, like, people in Maine don't do that. Like, they're very, like, individualistic. Like, home is private. Like, it was a big deal. Um, but it was great. We, we got to chat with her and her guy and yeah it was a great conversation so just some amazing ways that God was working in that um, so I think like Kyle asked me like what was a like moment where God really got my attention with something like big significant right um, it was a big moment but the truth was pretty simple mission is not as hard as we think it is hmm. All I really did was, my, my, my real obedience was just being present. God asked me to sit at this coffee shop for an hour once a week and just be open to what he had. So it was like, I know it sounds like super silly and kind of cliche, but like mission really is just all about like being there, making space. Awesome. Retweet. Retweet. Um, well, let me pray for you. Well, we'll see you next week, right?
Okay, I'm going to pray to start the sermon and I'll wrap you into it. How's that? Okay, uh, why don't you hand that mic for me to Steph when we're done here. So Father, thank you for Brittany and thank you for um, yeah, the reminder to be present to people. And um, Father, as we just turn our hearts and minds towards you, actually we're talking about calendar and time today. And so, um, yeah, we just give you our time and ask you to lead in Jesus' name. Amen. Proud of you. Good job. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5 is where we'll land. Ephesians 5. We're wrapping up this series on celebration. Next week, we're beginning a series. Our Advent teaching series is called Hidden Figures. It's about the women in the line of Jesus. So in the line of Jesus, you have a failed mother two women who have been sexually exploited, an immigrant and a prostitute leading to Jesus, not to mention a woman who faced unplanned pregnancy. So wild times is where we're going to be next week, but we'll be in Ephesians 5 today. The author Annie Dillard once remarked how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is, she says, how we spend our lives. If you ask anybody how they're spending their days, if you ask anybody how they're doing, I guarantee you they are going to say, I'm busy, but good. Right? And it doesn't matter if you've got young kids at home, if you've got kids in college, if you're retired in all seasons of life, right? It doesn't matter if you're single or married or, or divorced or widowed. I mean, almost every person I ever ask, how are you? They're going to say, I'm busy, but good. Our lives careen from one commitment to the next. We feel frantic and overwhelmed and exhausted by our responsibilities, these responsibilities that we've somehow agreed to, but which at the same time feel thrust upon us. Uh, I was remarking to a friend this week that since Jack started preschool, I, I feel like we haven't yet found our like normal rhythm. And it's been interrupted by Jack being sick and his doctor's visits and Steph going to her routine doctor appointments. and. I've lost kind of all sense to the rhythm of my life and the rhythm of my week and have yet to find kind of our predictable pattern for living. And, and I do kind of tend to enjoy a level of consistency in our day to day. And so in the midst of our busyness and in the midst of all the surprises, I think for me, it feels like things have slipped. Friendships have slipped. Connections with family have slipped. Household tasks have slipped. Do not ask me if Keith's room is ready for the baby, because it is not. In fact, I've lately been thinking, like, what do we even, like, use for babies, right? Like, Danielle and Craig are, like, deep in this. I haven't been in this for, like, four years. So I'm like, what is a car seat, you know? And where is that? And do we have this? And, um, and even in worse in the midst of that is what slips beyond friendships and family and keeping up around the house is what, what slips is keeping attention to my soul. Right? What slips is this life-giving connection with Jesus. And so there we are. I, and maybe this is just me. I, 
it's not, but maybe this is just me, right? In the midst of all of the overwhelm and the crazy, there's Andy Dillard quietly remarking that how we spend our days is how we will spend our lives. Art said it well last night. We only have one life to live. So whatever life we're living is just what it is, right? And as we've been considering the spiritual disciplines of celebration, looking at feasts and festivals given to Israel, celebrations of God's presence and provision, his freedom and forgiveness, what we have been confronted by is a calendar. What we've been confronted by is a calendar. A calendar that called Israel to spend their days in very specific ways. And if that's how they spent their days, then it was, of course, how they were spending their lives. I want us to reflect on their calendar and in so doing reflect on our calendars. So we'll ultimately be in Ephesians 4, but let me bring us back to where we started, which is the very first verses of Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 2 through 4, it's the Lord says to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and it must be observed wherever you live. In addition to the Sabbath, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the official days for holy assembly that are to be celebrated at their proper times. And what follows in Leviticus chapter 23 are seven festivals, some of which take place in the fall, some of which take place in the spring, that order their life together. It gives shape to how they spend their year. And God calls these times and these celebrations, he calls them appointed festivals or holy assemblies. The Hebrew word for these festivals indicates a time of meeting, but not just meeting with each other, meeting with, with the Lord. So God carves out this weekly celebration, the Sabbath. There are these annual celebrations sprinkled throughout the year. And as God is building Israel's year out for them, I just first of all want to remind you that there was no conversation about what dates would work better for them. Right? God, as he carved out this calendar for them, what he was inviting them into was sacred time. Sacred time. If you were an Israelite living in the cycle of these festivals, there were these regular pauses throughout the year, primarily set aside for meeting with God. These festivals, in their predictability and their regularity, ordered your days and your life around a sacred story. A holy history. A narrative of salvation and redemption and provision and generosity. The calendar the Israelites were given had formative power. It was forming them to be particular kinds of people. A person who knew Yahweh and his character. Because in each of those 
Each of those annual celebrations, those weekly ones, aspects of who God is and was were revealed to his people. He was shaping them to be people who even in the way that they spent their days, the way that they spent their weeks, the way that they spent their seasons, was shaping them to be people who inhabited a story that was ultimately true. Israel was given a calendar. As generations passed, that calendar is handed down one generation to another to the point where Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, and additional feasts like Hanukkah or Purim are celebrated by Jewish people, even now. They give shape and identity to Jewish people. They have an inherit. There is an inherited calendar given to the Jewish people, and you and I also live by a calendar. You and I have an inherited calendar that has been handed down one generation to another. A calendar, which we'll talk about this more in a little while, has, still has formative power. You and I have a set of ideals and a set of dates that give our days meaning. All of us operate with a calendar of events that give shape to our lives. Now, for some of us, that calendar is a family calendar. So it's a string of birthdays and anniversaries, traditions, uh, it, even funerals that give shape to our lives. And here's what your family calendar is shaping you into. It is shaping you primarily into a, in, as a member of a biological family or clan. It is saying that your primary identity is your biological family. That's what a family calendar does. For some of us, there's a calendar of kind of patriotism and nationalism. The events in our nation's history, um, July 4th, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, all of these days lined up together that are shaping us. Prime, what is that shaping us to be? It's shaping us to see ourselves primarily as citizens of a nation state. Now, for some of us, our lives are shaped by a consumeristic calendar, a materialism Calendar. This series of holidays, some of which have Christian origin, like Christian, uh, like Christmas and Halloween and Easter, uh, but other like days that Hallmark invents, like Mother's Day and Father's Day and Sweetest Day and Boss's Day and Valentine's Day. I mean, and what those calendars are shaping you into is to order your life around the changing seasons of Hobby Lobby and Target, right? <laughs> like, when is the dollar spot going to have the cute fall stuff, right? Um, and we have so all of us to one degree or another are kind of living according to one of these three calendars they're shaping us either to be people who buy things and whose life is kind of given value on the things that we own maybe life who has value given based on the nation that we're a part of and our citizenship here or simply that our life is given meaning and shape to the family that we're a part of And then in contrast to these calendars, in the midst of us kind of living our ordinary lives of busyness, running from one family event to another, getting ready for Thanksgiving so we can get ready for Christmas, so that we can collapse into a heap of exhaustion and depression for January, only to ramp back up again for Valentine's Day in February, right? Into the midst of all of this, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17, he says this, So look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When Paul says, look carefully then at how you walk, he's not talking about literal walking. He's talking about metaphorical walking. Paul uses the word walk in the book of Ephesians to kind of speak to how we live our lives, right? How we walk is how we live. It's how we're spending our days and our moments and our seasons and our lives. He uses the word walk to describe how we live. And he says, do not walk as unwise, but as wise. If you're interested, unwise is the natural default position of the human heart. Okay? We have to shift gears to get into wise, right? Otherwise, we're just... He says that we live as wise, how? By making the best use of the time. Again, meaning that our natural position is to perhaps squander our time and to spend it on things that he says are foolish. And we're especially prone to do this. Why? Because the days are evil. I think what we tend to think about the world as is kind of like, evil, neutral, and good. And what Paul does is kind of collapse the neutral category to say evil or good, right? Like Adam and Eve aren't given a choice of like, do, don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good, neutral, and evil, <laughs> right? Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's a collapsing of saying that the days are evil, that there's something inherently happening in the atmosphere of our lives and our world that have us breathing in fumes of evil, right? And by the way, that means a key idea is that the days weren't once good and now have suddenly become bad. The days have always been evil, right, is what Paul says even 2,000 years ago. So now what we're talking about is degrees of bad, right? Um, and he says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So how do we do that? How do we watch how we walk? How do we walk wisely? How do we make the best use of the time given these evil days? Given that if we just live our days on a new, kind of stuck in neutral, we will end up living them in an evil way. Did you, I mean, that's what Paul's saying. He says, so don't be foolish. Don't just think, I don't need to think about how I spend my time. But understand what the will of the Lord is. In evil days, we run the risk of living foolishly. We run the risk of living our lives unwisely. We run the risk of spending time on things that do not matter. We spend our lives foolishly when they are ordered by these temporary calendars. Having a family is good. But having a family calendar that limits your participation in the kingdom will ultimately be to live as unwise. See, Israel is given a calendar that expands the family. See, that's what Jesus comes to do. Jesus doesn't come to destroy the family but nor does he come to protect the nuclear family. Jesus comes to expand the family. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my father and my mother. 
We spend our lives foolishly when they rise and fall on the political and patriotic calendar of our nation. Who was Jesus a patriot for? Is a very important question. And the answer is he's a patriot for the kingdom of his father, right? And when we and, and again, what Jesus is coming to do is not prop up a single nation state, but throw open the kingdom to every tribe, tongue, and nation. We spend our lives foolishly if we rush from one marketable holiday to the next. Giving Christmas gifts is good. Receiving Christmas is good. It's, this is all good stuff. But in the kingdom of heaven, there will be commerce, but it will be based on abundance and generosity, not scarcity and kind of owning. To walk wisely, we need to understand what the will of the Lord is, which in verse 18, Paul says, requires being filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way. So how do we go on being filled with the Spirit? Well, in verses 19 and 20, Paul says that singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, worship and gratitude, that is one of the ways that we can be filled with the Spirit and grow in the knowledge and understanding of what the will of the Lord is. But what if we could step into sacred time? What if a key way to walking wisely, what if a key way to knowing what the will of the Lord is, is to align ourselves not with a calendar that is primarily family or primarily patriotism or primarily the stuff that we buy, but what if it's stepping into the sacred time of the church year? How do we step into sacred time? For the Old Testament saints, those predictable patterns of feasts and festivals and Sabbaths were how they shaped their days and it's how that they stepped into sacred time right? Over these months and years, they made sacred time where they encounter the living God in their calendar. They were wrapped up into a story that wasn't primarily about biological family or the existence of a nation or even things that they owned, but in things that they gave away about a kingdom that would transcend geopolitical boundaries over a family that would grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The calendar that Israel was given was a calendar to place themselves in God's story. What I'm saying is the family calendar, the political patriotic calendar, and the consumerism calendar do not place us in God's story. They set an agenda that at best is somewhat different from and at worst is outright in opposition to the values of the kingdom. Eugene Peterson writes, that when we submit our lives to what we read in scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. Can I just throw that out to you again? When we submit our lives to what we read in scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but to our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. There's a subtle difference, isn't there? Between kind of making Jesus an accoutrement to my life and making, putting him in my story versus saying, here's my small story and I'm going to root it in this larger story. And the festivals that Israel was given 
rooted their smaller stories in the larger story of what God was doing. And so a fair question would be, well, then why don't we celebrate the feasts of Israel? Um, you can. You just don't have to, right? Um, you can. It's, 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 it's a get-to. And so I had, uh, I've had professors all the way through my 10 years of schooling that celebrated the Feast of Israel with their families. And there's books about how you can do that. Um, it's valuable. It's insightful. But really, in the Christian tradition, we have a parallel calendar called the church year or the Christian year. And, and I have this up here. Um, the Christian year uh, celebrates different feasts and festivals based on the life of Christ and the story of the church. Early in Christian history, the people of Jesus began to develop their own patterns of sacred time. And so there was first kind of this six-week season of preparation ahead of Easter that was called Lent. Can I tell you what was cool about Lent when it was originally practiced? It was to root out spies. Yeah. So Lent, Lent so I want you to think about um, persecution in the early Christian church and like the first in like the 200s and the 300s is when Lent comes. Um, the Roman government is very, very uncomfortable with the Christian tradition. Um, they view them uh, because they're arguing that Jesus is Lord to glory of God the Father, not Caesar is Lord. So they're kind of viewed as this like insurrectionist group. And so as is common in persecuted communities even today, the Roman government would place false converts in and amongst the churches to kind of see what was going on. And so the way that the early church rooted them out was, uh, here's 40 days by the way, not 40 days like with an hour evening Bible study, right? But like 40 days of fasting and prayer and almsgiving and catechesis. And at the end of it, on the night of Easter, you have to get naked to get baptized. Tell you what, that chased the spies right out of there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's hard to fake it till you make it for 40 days on fasting, right? So that was kind of what, and, and, and there was a season of preparation and discipleship and those kinds of pieces. But the sub-point was, let's see if there's any fakers in our midst. Um, so I will see you tonight for our naked baptism service. <laughs> Can't wait for that to live on YouTube forever. Okay. Um, so there was this six-week season of preparation ahead of Easter called Lent. Later on, then a four-week-ish series of, East, of, of celebration came to be called Advent, ahead of the birth of Jesus. And as church history went on, uh, this, uh, this season would expand. So you have Advent, which, by the way, the Christian year starts with Advent. It starts actually next Sunday is the Christian New Year. Um, and so you have this four-week season of Advent. And then you have Christmas, which is a distinct season from Advent, which is why there is a song called The Twelve Days of Christmas, right? Uh, because it's the time that comes after. Then it's the time called Epiphany which is kind of about recognizing who Jesus is, then into Lent and the crucifixion of Jesus, Easter and the great 50 days of the resurrection, and then Pentecost. And then after that is a season called ordinary time. Uh, and ordinary time just means ordered time. So you move typically in the Christian year. And if you read like the lectionary, if you grew up Catholic, this totally vibes with you, right? Because this is kind of how your year went right? And the colors in the sanctuary would change, and there would be all of these different things. You know, in some really cool traditions, um, they, uh, I, I was kind of discipled by an Anglican for a while, and uh, Anglicans, they bury the Alleluia during Lent, and what that means is they find any banner that says Alleluia, and they literally go and dig it in the ground and bury it, and on an Easter Sunday, they pull it out, 
which like I, it's interesting how people experience these things like if you were raised like generic evangelical like me that sounds really cool and could maybe like stir up your faith a little bit if you were raised catholic it like makes you want to drop an anchor on your toe right so like we kind of got to walk with understanding with each other in this um so there but there's this season there's these seasons to the church year that we're kind of ignorant of and and so here's kind of where i wanted to leave our celebration series I want to offer you a practical step and then I want to have you just reflect on something. And the practical step is that it is never so easy to spend our days foolishly as it is in the days leading up to Christmas. And I think we all have that sense, don't we? Like I'm a Christian, I should probably be feeling more spiritual during this time, but I have things to buy and inflation is really high. <laughs> right? Um, and I have like cranky in-laws and you know and then and then there's the family drama and like kind of the pain that rises in that so there's just like so many distractions to that um so but one of the ways that we can make the best use of the time and we can step into sacred time is by celebrating advent and practicing advent so i had the advent wreath out advent we'll start stepping into next week but there's just a few things that maybe you could do to step into sacred time during this Advent season to reorder your days. Um, if you are adults in your home doing a, an Advent devotional together, there's a million of them. I don't need to recommend any of them. There, there's a bajillion on there. Um, lighting an Advent wreath once, you know, throughout the year, throughout the month, even around your dinner table to like mark that season of time. Um, if your family is one of the things that Steph and I did and kind of stumbled into a win in discipling our kids. So if you have young kids in your house um, or even elementary and middle school age, the practice that we took on last year is we did something called the Jesse tree, the Jesse tree. Um, and so uh, it lined up with the Jesus storybook Bible and you would, we would read a story to Jack out of the Jesse tree and then he got to hang an ornament that matched that story like on the tree and he was all and then we would pray together and he was all in and I looked at Steph and I was like I actually feel like I'm winning and discipling my child right now um, and so we got like nice ornaments last year you can go on Etsy and like buy a printable set for five dollars um, if you want to do it that way um, if you have grandkids when they're at your house you can do it that way too but we did that we did that the Jesse tree starts December 1st we went ahead and started like late November because we knew we would miss some days. Um, you got to give yourself some grace on this, but it, it was a way for us to step into sacred time and begin to reorder our days in a key way. So that's the small step I want to invite you to take today. But here's the larger re reflection point I have for you, and, and Steph will lead uh, for this. What calendar are you living by? What calendar are you living by? You have a calendar, conscious or unconscious, and that calendar is forming you to be a certain kind of person. We are always in the state of becoming. Right? What calendar is giving shape to your days? At the end of your life, do you really, really want to be good at having bought stuff? At the end of your life, 
do you really want to say that my accomplishment was I was a very good extracurricular attending parent? Like, at the end of your life, what kind of person do you want to become? And here's what's key. Everything, this is why it's important to recognize that it's not good, neutral, evil, it's good and evil, is that everything you do forms you. You're always being formed into a kind of person. It's just a question of what kind of person are you becoming? And our calendars play a vital role in shaping the kind of person that we're going to become. The call today is to step into sacred time, but first you have to recognize what calendar you're living by. So I'll let Steph lead us in a reflection on that.